when you are saying unless and you put a question mark behind it, essentially what the mind will do is it will find the conditions, even though they're crazy, that could make the impossible possible. The stories we tell ourselves as people, as teams, as organizations, you know, they often get in the way of the changes we want to make in the world. We actually need to propel our stories forward, not hold us back. This is Unstop the Story, where we're looking at how amazing people and companies are being resilient, flexible, brave, and daring in the face of an ever-changing landscape. And we'll talk about how you can do it too. Hello and welcome to Unstop the Story with Unstoppable Tracy. This week, talking a bit about making bigger, better, faster decisions. And it has me think right back to the first decision my parents ever made when the doctors advised them because of not having my limbs that I would never sit up, I'd never walk. And during that time when I was born for my mother's pregnancy, ultrasounds were not common. So my disability came as a complete surprise. And so given my parents weren't prepared to have a child with a disability, doctors advised them to give me up for adoption. And lucky for me, they didn't. And I don't know much more than that about the story. I don't know if it's too hard for my mom to talk about and my dad is no longer with us. So this week relates to chapter two of my book, Unstoppable You, Who Needs a Hand? And being a catalyst for embracing the moment and disrupting the norm kind of started that day when my parents decided to keep me because that was the first day that began a bunch of defying the odds. When I sat up, when I stood, again, when I fed myself, you know, successful people are not status quo. And I am certainly not status quo. And successful people all have one thing in common. And that's that they are continually innovating and disrupting the norm. And this is before the pandemic, just naturally continually inventing and reinventing. Right For me, innovating and disrupting the norm, they're just sort of my way of living and breathing and walking, right? So my earliest memory was going to kindergarten with all of my friends. And I grew up in Scarborough, Ontario, on this great street called Coxworth Crescent. And it, it, Scarborough is a bit of a rough and tough neighborhood, for those that don't know. And yet Coxworth was this safe haven. And many on the street, you know, happen to be from the United Kingdom, actually. And mom is from Liverpool, England. And my dad was the only one who wasn't really from UK. And he was from Germany. And so that's a whole other story for another day. But come enrollment time, I learned that the education system had told my mom that I needed to go to a special school. And I hate that expression, by the way, special school, special needs. And I think I just had a light bulb moment with all of you listening right now, right here, where my distaste for the word special comes from. It's probably that first day of school. And I just wanted to be with all the other kids on my street. And they said that the kindergarten teacher couldn't manage me in their class. 
And my mom asked why. And they had said that I needed to be able to tie my own shoelaces and to be able to do zippers and go to the bathroom by myself and be independent at recess, you know, and then I couldn't hold the class up. And actually, that kind of makes sense, right? I'm a teacher myself all these years later, and I acknowledge it might be difficult to manage sort of my needs alongside the needs of 30 other kids in the class at the time, especially since there was no such thing as classroom or educational assistance back then. And so you can imagine my mom was pretty passionate in her plight to get me in. And she kind of vehemently explained that I could do those things. And all my friends from the neighborhood were going there and I was really looking forward to it. And up till then, just like me, my mom just assumed that I would automatically be included. And unfortunately, it didn't matter what my mom said. They wouldn't have it. And they had decided, talk about decision-making, without even asking what I was capable of. And so the enrollment register denied my attendance. And so my mom and my dad, they toured all those special schools, and they realized pretty quickly that that wasn't really a place for me. And so we were all faced with this big, bold no in our lives. You know, we talk about big, hairy goals in the corporate world. And this was a big, hairy no. And so I get no pretty much every day as a starting point to every request as a four-way amputee. And mom taught me a valuable lesson that day to counter-offer the no. So she went back to that school and she asked them to reconsider and to give it a try just for one week to see how it goes. And if it doesn't work out, then we could revisit that decision of what was the best school for me. But she had turned that totally firm no into something they could consider and would consider. You know, so that first day, mom knew for me to stay in the neighborhood school that I had to get outside for recess. And She held my shoulders so tightly. And I remember that feeling of her fingers digging into my arms. And my mom looked me in the eye and she said, Tracy, it's really important that everyone's included at recess. Do you understand? It's really important that you and all your friends are together outside at recess. So I have a video with over 100 million views that tells this story. So I'm not going to share with you the secret now. I'm going to encourage you to go to the notes and there'll be a clip to finding this video of what happened in that kindergarten story. But I also ask you to ask yourselves, what was it that all the other kids with hands did not have to be able to tie their shoelaces? And when we've got policies or rules or obstacles in our way, you know, how relevant are they truly for our success in life or the next piece of the business? You know, how relevant was it that I could or couldn't tie my shoelaces when other kids did? You know, ask yourself, are these standards even relevant? Is it worth having it as a stopping point to your promotion, for example? Or is this person's opinion based on their 
full knowledge of your whole self. So don't let roadblocks such as no or some kind of perceived notion from somebody else stand in your way. Find a way to open that door of the opportunity so that they can see what you know and counteroffer the no. You know, you know that you belong there. And with a confident mindset, you'll figure out how to help others see it too. So with confidence, others follow. So I went from not being allowed in class because of shoelaces to one day, someday becoming a shoelace leader. So speaking to influence others is integral to the success of new leaders. And there are strategies to get results. You know, speak to the needs of your listeners. What is their interest? What value or takeaway can you offer them that clearly meets their needs? You know, make a call to action and then walk away with some clear next steps. In Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he mentions on his fifth best habit, seek to understand before being understood. So I put a sticky note on my computer and every presentation, every phone call, every email, every special post, I use these three words to frame my next steps of action. Pain, solution, action. What's their pain? What solution can I offer their pain? Then what's my action? So think of your next important communication while you're listening to me on this podcast. You know, identify what are the problems, what are the solutions, and the actions for your institution, your organization, your family. And so follow these questions. What's the listener's pain? You know, for example, in speaking, it's to make the event organizer look good. Sometimes we think it's the audience, but who is it that I'm trying to get to hire me? It's the event organizer. So their pain, I've got to make them look good. So how can I present a solution to make them look good? And then what solution are you providing that they will want or desire because it addresses their pain? And then what desired call to action are you encouraging or requesting or offering? Well, my next guest is phenomenal at figuring out and explaining why good people make and often repeat bad decisions, all of us included. So you're in for a real treat today. I'm so proud to be sharing with you how to make better, faster decisions at times that really matter with Dr. Alan Barnard. Alan is one of my dearest friends and top 10 mentors who is a larger than life and not just because he's 6'5". He is one of the world's leading decision scientists and theory of constraints expert. You know, his clients impressively include Microsoft, for example, the world's most valuable company with a market cap of over $1 trillion. So you will get to hear from Dr. Alan Bernard in just a moment. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Unstopped Story. In just a moment, you'll get to hear a fascinating conversation between Unstoppable Tracy and Alan Bernard about prioritizing our mental and other resources and much more. My name is Megan Doherty, and I've had the 
pleasure of working with Unstoppable Tracy to co-create Unstop the Story, which you're listening to now. One Stone Creative is a podcast and online course creation agency, and we love to help plan, build, and distribute podcasts that tell important stories while working towards key business objectives. We especially love working with authors like Unstoppable Tracy and have a special book-to-podcast program designed to help nonfiction authors transform their books into valuable multimedia podcasts. If you have a book or a story and you want to bring it to the world in a new format, find us at onestonecreative.net. That's O-N-E, stonecreative.net. Now, here are Unstoppable Tracy and Alan Bernard. Alan's passion is understanding why good people make and often repeat bad decisions. Alan is so intriguing to me. I am constantly wondering, who is this guy? And whenever I can, I steal a second with Alan, wherever he is. And so welcome, Alan. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Tracy. It's a great honor to be on your podcast. Uh, The honor is all mine. So you have this extraordinary life goal. You want to help more and more people make better, faster decisions at times that matter. And it's a massive accomplishment when you consider, like, you work with some pretty tough, resistant crowds and, you know, companies that have a long established way of doing things, for example, the mining world. So will you share with us a story that's kind of illustrating a breakthrough with a tough individual or a tough company? Sure. So you mentioned that, you know, my goal is to help people make better, faster decisions when it really, really matters. So you can ask, like, what is limiting us? What's blocking us from doing that? And it's really these limiting assumptions or beliefs that we have. And one of those, probably one of the most powerful limiting beliefs is when we think that something is impossible to do because we won't even try, right? And the story that you're referring to is a story that I think illustrates kind of a process that any one of your listeners or viewers can use almost immediately when you're facing a really, really tough challenge. And I think after this pandemic, many of us are in that situation where maybe the business has lost a lot of revenue and we're trying to think about what we can do to recover. So the story is I was asked to come and give a lecture to a mining company, a group of miners about theory of constraints, you know, how to de-bottleneck their mining operations, et cetera. And I prepared a whole bunch of slides. I was super excited, uh, very nervous about it. And I arrived in the conference center they were at. There were about 60 miners. And I could see immediately, you know, from the body language that this was not going to be an audience that is going to love slides being presented to them. <laughs> So I quickly tried to figure out what was happening. And what I found out was that they had a very clear goal for that year. They had to do 12 million tons of coal for that year. And they were now in month four, and they only had done 3 million tons. So they were already a million tons behind. And if they were going to continue on that rate, you know, they're going to end up with 9 million compared to 12 million. Now, Put yourself in my shoes, right? By this time in my life, I'm pretty confident, you know, if I apply my mind, I can, you know, like most of us, if you give something your full attention, you can probably find some kind of breakthrough solution. But here I am in an environment where you have almost no intuition, right? You can't pull out some silver bullet and say, if you do this, you can dramatically increase your 
the amount of times that you're producing, you know, inside your mind. So the question is, what do you do? And what I did was I started with, I want to understand what is the problem, right? And I drew this graph. I said, okay, so you've got 12 months, right? You've got a graph. You have to get to 12 million tons, million tons a month. You now in month four, you had 3 million. So there's already a gap, right? Like what happens often to all of us, there's some kind of expectation or performance gap. And that's the thing that causes stress and anxiety in our life. So I said, yes. So I said, so I want to understand. So if you don't solve this problem, nothing else matters, right? If you don't solve this problem, you're going to end up with 9 million tons. The company is going to lose money. Your customers won't get all the coal because they supply the you know electrical power grids, et cetera. They won't get all. You're going to have to pay penalties and probably many of you will be fired. And I said, absolutely. So I said, look, I don't know much about mining, but there's two things that we can do. And hopefully this will illustrate the kind of common mistakes that we all make. So what I said to them is, I would like you to take a flip chart and each one of you, and there were about 60 in a room, write down exactly what are you working on at the moment that's occupying most of your own and your team's time and budget. Write it on this flip chart and stick it on the wall. And soon we had almost like a hundred initiatives sitting around the wall. So I said, okay, what I'd like you to do now is we've just agreed that the number one problem for you to solve is to find a way of closing this gap to get more tons out, right? So I'd like you to go back and write down on each of those hundred initiatives, how many more tons is that going to give you? And you can kind of imagine what happened, right? (laughs) <laughs> most of those things had no impact on tons, and yet it was occupying most of our scarcest and most precious resources. So before you start anything, that's always the place to start, is make sure that there's a clear understanding of what is the problem you're trying to solve or the goal that you're trying to achieve, and make sure that what you are currently working on is directly related to that. So very quickly, we basically quickly agree that many of those things should be stopped, Right because we need to release the budget and the time that people would need to actually focus on the one or two things that really matter. So that was kind of step one. And that became one of the starting points. You mentioned all the incredible organizations I've had the privilege to work with over the years. That is literally step one whenever I engage with an organization. Number one, what's the problem you're trying to achieve, the goal that you're trying to achieve, and then checking that all the things that you're doing that you're currently occupying your time is directly aligned with that. So we agreed quickly to what to stop doing. But now the question is, okay, now we have to figure out what to start doing, things that can actually substantially and sustainably improve that goal unit. So I called the first person that was in charge of the first operation in the mine, which is essentially exposing the ore. I called him forward and I said, okay, so you're currently sitting at 3 million. You know, you should have been at 4 million. It doesn't just help you to produce at 1 million a month. You need to catch up. So it needs to be like 1.25 million per month that you need to get. I said, how are you going to do that? Right? Because if you can't expose the ore, then nobody down the chain will be able to hit their target. Right? You're the first person. And he just looked at me and he said to me, it's bloody impossible. (laughs) If it was possible, we would have done it, right? And people that are listening, they got to, like, remember, these are miners that are deep entrenched. I just envision this 
rough and gruff, gigantic Viking kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned, you know, I'm six foot five and yeah. you feel intimidated, right? You stand in front of the person there. They invited you. You need to find some kind of breakthrough and you have no idea what the hell you're doing, right? <laughs> so it's like, imagine yourself in my shoes, Ugh. right? This guy is telling you it's bloody impossible. What do you do? How do you convince him that something is possible? Right. And at that moment, the only thing that came up in my mind is I said to him, it's impossible unless. <laughs> and I just let it hang there, right? Ooh. Unless. And what happens afterwards, we had figured it out in our research labs, literally when it's called in psychology a disruptive question, right? See? The disruptive question is now forcing your mind to question this assumption that it's impossible, this belief that it's impossible. When you are saying unless and you put a question mark behind it, essentially what the mind will do is it will find the conditions, even though they're crazy, that could make the impossible possible. Yeah. So he stared at me. I stared at him. It felt like ages. It was probably a couple of seconds. And then he said to me, okay, I'll play your bloody game. It's not a game. We're trying to make a breakthrough here, right? Yeah. So he started pointing to the accountant sitting over there with the senior management. And he said, if it wasn't for these idiots, I would know exactly how to do it. I said, well, what would you do? He said, I would go and hire a bunch of equipment, right? And there's an area that they told me that's unprofitable to mine. I would go in there, I'd open up the ore, and it'll be done. I'll put so much ore that it will flood the guys downstream. <laughs> so why, why haven't you done that? He said, because we don't have budget. We're already behind, right? We don't have the money. We don't have the time. I said, okay, let's do the numbers quickly. Yeah. And the numbers were pretty compelling, right? They sell about $100 a ton or something. We did the numbers that said, if you can really increase your output by about half a million tons, that's about $50 million a month extra. The full cost, the worst case cost situation would be around $10 million. And I'd said like, what do you think their decision would be? You make $50 million, you only spend $10 million, right? And, you know, you, we looked at them and it was immediately approved. And I think from that story, sort of two key things came up is that this process of Whenever you are trying to achieve a target or solve a problem that you think is so difficult that might be labeled as impossible, ask yourself or your team or your customer, it's impossible unless, and it will automatically identify those conditions that can help make the impossible possible. But then people will still be skeptical, right? So the second part is the doing the cost-benefit calculation, and there. My big insight at that moment was when you are trying to ensure that there will be value in something, you're always saying benefit minus cost. Pick the worst case benefit and compare it to the worst case cost. Okay. That can help to overcome any skepticism to say, you know, benefit could be $100 million, but worst case, even if we do a terrible job, will be $50 million, right? Yeah. What's well, the cost side? The cost side, you know, if we're really efficient, could be maybe 5 million, but worst case, it will be 10 million. So now we're comparing 50 million with us 10 million. And that's a second condition to help us basically challenge a basic assumption. Yeah. So that's the type of thing that I do is helping people figure out what is that one question or two questions that they could ask themselves 
that will help them to not only discover a limiting assumption or belief, but also help them to overcome it. And that obviously opens up a huge amount of potential for them. You totally unstopped the story for the man that was like, it's impossible with your disruptive question. And with the accountants who are like resistant to spend more money when they're going broke. But I love our listeners. Like notice how Alan, like you check the understanding up front as well, right? You were saying, I don't have any intuition around mining. You have extraordinary expertise, but it wasn't around mining. So you totally checked the understanding up front, right? So that they could hear that you were listening. And then when you got into those listing a hundred initiatives and stop them at a hundred before the list got even bigger. But what you said was demanding their attention, which would impact increasing the tons. Right. And there was like three out of a hundred. But before we could get there, we had to clear that plate, right? Yeah. You, you have to take up all those things that are demanding people's time and attention and budget, but are not actually helping them move closer to that goal. And I think we all struggle with that, right? We have so many things that we're working on and it's good from time to time to ask ourselves all these things that we're working on. Yeah. First question, is it really helping us to achieve the goal? And even if it is, what are we giving up by doing this thing, right? Because we must be giving up something else. So I think those are two really important questions we should always ask ourselves. Yes, I loved how you distinguished how are you going to have budget to start doing something until you agree to what you're going to stop doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think we can apply that to our teams as well, right? As to say that whenever you're asking somebody to start doing something, first help them figure out what they can stop doing. Because most people are already overloaded and overwhelmed. And it's those kind of conditions that, when it comes back to when we talk, we started talking about decision making is one of the things that can cause us to procrastinate is when we feel overwhelmed. Yeah. Like open psychology decision fatigue. You know, we are facing so many decisions that we basically are constantly going towards the safest possible decision. And for most of us, the safest one feels like don't do anything, right? Yeah. And if you think about the response of decision making, which is, you know, fight flight or freeze, right? Why would I freeze? I freeze only when my mind is convincing myself that any action will be bad and then I get stuck. So I need to find some way of getting myself unstuck. And and one way of reminding myself is definitely don't do this stuff. Stop doing that because it's not helping or even harming and start doing these one or two few things that can really move us closer. You know, you're throwing things out there like feeling stuck and you talk about the budget and the time and all those things that overwhelm us. And the most powerful conversation early on in our friendship that just really was a massive light bulb was when you answered for me, what would you say is the greatest scarcity for us that overwhelms us all? And I think that's a, that's a great question. It took me a long time to figure that out, right? As you mentioned, you know, we, we started working with some of the biggest companies on the planet. And you ask yourself, so what is really limiting them from profitably growing? Yeah. Could it be the market? And you say, no, you know, even a company like Walmart has only 2% of the market. So it's not the size of the market, right? 
And if you think for any of your listeners or viewers, think about the product or service that you provide, even if it's just one. Now think about all the people that could benefit from that, right? It's not the number of people. It's not the size of the market that's the issue. Could it be money? There's a lot of cash around. If you've got a good business case, you can always get more money. Could it be information? No, we, we probably have too much information. <laughs> so every possibility that we were thinking about, we say, no, it can't be. It can't be the market. It can't be supply. It can't be cash. It can't be capacity. It can't be talent. So what the hell is it? Yeah. The one way to figure out what is a real constraint in the system is to ask yourself, is there one resource where the demand on that resource will always exceed the available capacity of that resource? We could find out only one. And I'd like your listeners or viewers to do this kind of thought experiment with me. Think about all the things that are currently demanding your attention, both at work and at home. And try to put that as a bar, right? How high is that bar? <laughs> Especially if you add your backlog of things that you haven't yet done, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, next to that bar, how much available attention do you have every day? And a way of thinking about attention is it's not time. We have 24 hours of time. Attention is kind of undistracted time. It's a time we give ourselves to make progress on the goals that are really important to us. And what we realize is, oh boy, that is the real bottleneck, right? It's truly that the bottleneck is always at the top of the bottle. Yeah. Doesn't matter whether you're a single person business or this multi-billion dollar business, the bottleneck is our limited management attention. What and who we pay attention to makes all the difference. If you end up paying attention to the wrong things or the wrong people, your life is going to be pretty miserable, right? If you figure out how to pay attention to the right things, those few right things that can make a huge difference, like in this mining company, and a few right people that you need their help and connections with to really succeed, that can result in massive success. Yeah. So that was our conclusion. And as soon as you realize that a resource is now scarce, you become aware, first step not to waste it, right? And that's why today, step number one is always, how are you wasting this scarce resource at every level in the organization, right? What are all the things that you're doing that are not really helping that we need to stop doing in order to give you the attention, to pay attention to those things and people that could really matter? Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. Unstop the story. Please be sure to subscribe to Alan Barnard. That's Alan spelt with one L, A-L-A-N and Barnard. And my dog is celebrating how magnificent Alan is and find his PhD thesis to learn more and hear his podcast, Impossible Unless, and seek out his page, Gold Rat Research Labs. So Gold Rat is one word and rat has two T's in it. And his YouTube channel, Dr. Alan Bernard, grab his Harmony Decision Maker app that just supports decisions, not only the pros and cons, but the pro-con cloud method of the Harmony Decision Maker app. Alan, I am so grateful that you joined me today. My dog is shouting in celebration that you're with us today. Thank you for coming, Alan. It's so great to be with you. It was so, so much fun. Thank you so much, Tracy. Take care, folks. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show? 
I'd love if you could share it with someone you think will find it valuable or inspiring. And don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to see a live and unedited version of this full interview, you can. Subscribe for all access at unstoppabletracy.com slash interviews, and you'll gain instant access to the whole catalog for free.